0: So I had a thought today. Oh,
1: <laughs> do tell.
0: Yeah, as we were cleaning out all of that junk in our fridge and all that expired stuff and dumping it down the sink.
1: Wow, you make us sound lovely.
0: Yeah, well, my thought was, I really hope garbage disposals can't taste. Ew. <laughs> Everybody and welcome to another Fantasmalista. No, uh, nope, that's not going to work at all. Uh, episode just, just keeps getting longer. <laughs> of gear related, a peek under the hood of the automotive repair industry. We are your lovely hosts, Ben
1: and Heather. I swear, at at some point. The phasmaristic text. Taxid- that word is going to be the 20 minutes of podcast, okay. and we're just going to have to sign off. Okay, thanks. Bye. Well,
0: I should really start writing them down because they're getting more difficult.
1: <laughs> you don't plan and, it. You don't pre plan any yeah. of that. Anyways, you just right. Improv.
0: So it is February, as we all know, as we're inside freezing our. Our uh, hearts yes, yeah. hearts go out to those and people, and
1: more people than usual are freezing their tails off.
0: Yeah, our hearts go and, uh, go out to those who. We hope you have power. We hope you have water. All that good stuff. Yeah, um, but yeah, it is February, which is Black History Month. Yes. So we thought it would be fun to celebrate some gear related uh, African American heroes.
1: Yes, and there, oh my gosh, there was a thousand to go through. Absolutely. So we decided not to make this a two-week podcast. <laughs> we just chose a couple of highlights, some of those, you know, more more automotive related that maybe don't always get a lot of the limelight.
0: And we if we didn't pick your favorites, we do apologize. Next year. Yeah, you can always let us know and we'll 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 plug it. We'll put we'll, it in. We'll remember. Right. I'll write it totally. down. How about that? Oh
1: gosh, right next to his <laughs>
0: adjectives yeah. about things. <laughs> well, you want to kick us off?
1: Sure. So, um let's see. My first my first person, my first inventor, um his name is Garrett Morgan, which I love cuz my maiden name, you know,
0: is Garrett. Garrett.
1: So, holler out to the Garrets of the world. So, this gentleman was born on March 4th, 1877.
0: Well, that's almost the same day you were born I on. know.
1: I think, I think uh, we're kindred spirits, maybe. No, because he's way smarter than me. <laughs> so he was born. His parents, um, Sidney Morgan and Elizabeth Reed, were both freed slaves in Kentucky. So started out in Kentucky, and he moved up to Cincinnati when he was about 14. He was working as a handyman. Uh, back then, he had to sort of, you know, Quit school, work, send money home, but he managed to save a little bit of money to get a tutor, so he kept up with his studies.
0: That's where it all starts, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Yeah, school, education, do the things. Absolutely. Do your homework, kids. Do it. it. (laughs) So- um, You really think kids are listening (laughs) to us? That's great. (laughs) Do your homework, adults (laughs) in school. Um. So then he moved to Cleveland and he started repairing. He got a job repairing sewing machines for this big clothing manufacturer. And you hear that Ohio,
0: Ohio.
1: <laughs> we see, we're here. We got all nothing we're but love for thinking the Ohioans about you at all times. So he did what I I just like you do this. This is kind of a thing that I I just envision mechanically inclined people. They start taking things apart. And then just want to know how it works.
0: Oh, that's yeah, that's how we learn.
1: And so that's what he did. And he got really interested in how things kind of work. So he um, got married. He started. He helped start the Cleveland Association for Colored Men in 1908. So he's a little bit of a, you know, political figure as well, which is kind of cool. So he at at one point he invented this hood that goes over your head and it protects your face <laughs> and, your, and your eyes and everything. That's our cat helping. She likes this one too. Hush, uh, hush, hush. So <laughs> it protects you from smoke. So he actually used it. He he used to run around and just use this all the time to prove that it works. So he helped rescue a bunch of guys that were actually stuck in a water intake tunnel under Lake Erie. Wow. So the hood protected him from the smoke. Um, and there's these little air tubes that go down under the smoke and draw up clean air for you to breathe. So is the first kind of effective gas mask, which was really
0: cool. That's pretty brilliant.
1: Um, then he went a different way and started delving into the land of hair care products, and he has a ton of <laughs> patents there, which is
0: really cool.
1: And then... Well,
0: you know, once you take your hood off, you got to fix your, your hair. Your <laughs> hair's got to look nice, yeah.
1: So then he... At, at one point, so so cars were running around in the 1900s, you know, the early 1900s, and there was enough cars and horse-drawn car- carriages and pedestrians and bikes and the whole thing sharing the same roads so that they had some rudimentary traffic control kind of devices. And uh, Garrett Morgan witnessed a pretty awful automobile accident. And so he, along with a few other people kind of had the same idea. So they all kind of um, different patents, but he had a patent for more of a warning light. So instead of going from green to red, he sort of added this yellow, this warning light so that it wasn't.
0: He's the inventor of Amber. (laughs) He's one
1: of them. Yeah. Cause you know, I think it, there was some warning So, which is so good because it used to be like, go, go, go. Oh my gosh, you have to stop right now. (laughs) So yeah, lots of accidents. So that was pretty cool. So that's Garrett Morgan. I mean, you know.
0: Way to go, Garrett Morgan.
1: Nutshell. And a hair care gas mask, traffic control signal. We nutshell. owe we
0: owe the yellow light to you, you know, and our beautiful the, hair, the one that gives us the chance to beat the red.
1: To beat the red, I know he's probably looking down, going, "You guys."
0: <laughs> oh, that's very yeah. cool.
1: Yeah, he was a cool guy.
0: So uh, the next one on our list is a gentleman named Elijah J. McCoy.
1: Ooh, I he, love the name Elijah.
0: I love the name McCoy. <laughs> like right. the Hatfields and McCoy.
1: Done and done. This was not one of the McCoys, though. No,
0: me. no, this is not um, one of the Hatfield and McCoys. This is a different McCoy altogether. He was born in uh, Canada.
1: He was born in Canada?
0: Yes, he was. In 1844, he was the son of some escaped slaves that were helped through the Underground Railroad to get up to Canada.
1: Probably through Rochester. What? What?
0: And it's very possible. Uh, they moved back to the us. when he was just a, a wee babe in eighteen forty seven. and uh, as uh, as life gonna uh, I'm sorry, I just can't talk today. It's fine. it's it
1: helps if you don't eat m and ms while we're recording,
0: but whatever, <laughs> yeah. you do what you do you. Uh, I'm gonna get through this. So mm-hmm. when he was um, a teenager in eighteen fifty nine. They, he was sent to Edinburgh, Scotland. He got an apprenticeship there. Oh,
1: somebody to, do that to
0: me. Yeah, right? To study, and uh, he got certified as a mechanical engineer.
1: Oh my gosh, that's so awesome.
0: So he comes back to the States, and he gets a job with the Michigan Central Railroad as a fireman and an oiler.
1: Wait, he went back to Michigan?
0: Yeah, that's where the family moved to after they, got, okay. um, after they left Canada. Canadia. Canadian, right? Sorry. Jeez. <laughs> Our Canadian listeners are just shaking their heads right now. <laughs> um, anyway, so he took a job as a fireman and oiler uh, on this railroad. And of course, all the uh, locomotives were steam engines back then. Okay. And steam engines required a lot of lubrication, just like any other engine. But a lot of the, uh, the trains, they had to stop. And they had to oil them and make some maintenance, do some maintenance stuff and then keep going. So these trains were constantly going, stopping, going, stopping. Well, Eliza J. McCoy invented a automatic oiler. Ooh. Now, he's not credited with the first um, automatic oiler, but he did have a, um, a, a type that he developed that worked very well. Um, he made some improvements. He did a lot of other stuff. Um, w- w- he was quite the inventor, actually. Uh, he went from inventing automatic oilers and, and things on to, to help steam locomotives and also a lawn sprinkler. I thought I might bring yes. that up. Yes! <laughs> so yeah, he had over 50, uh, or not over, he had about 57 patents. Wow. Yeah, it's, uh guy's quite, uh, quite the genius. Uh, in, so much, in 2001, he was in, inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame. Wow! Uh, and it is also said... In many places, including the, the this theory was also mentioned in, the, in his biography at the uh, National Inventors Hall of Fame, that the phrase, the real McCoy, is attributed to him because they wanted his automatic oiler in their steam engines. Okay. So it may not be accurate, but it is a theory. It is a working theory. There's a other out there, theory. but it's possible, I guess, that Elijah J. McCoy could be the origin of the real McCoy.
1: Well, sure. That's
0: awesome. Yeah.
1: I want to be the real McCoy. <laughs> All right. My my next friend has a super cool name, Richard B. Spikes.
0: Oh, yeah, that is cool. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so he was born on October 2nd, 1878, and he was one of nine children. And you could probably... I I want somebody to make a movie about his childhood and his family because the whole gang is just kind of, they're a bunch of cool, cool cats. Um, His father was a barber and two of his brothers were musicians and songwriters. And they actually like were in kind of big in the jazz land there
0: that's a household that i would love to grow up in that's what
1: i'm saying they had a lot of cool cool stuff going on so richard could play both the piano and the violin quite well and his father you know he would go along with his father to his barber shop so he learned how to cut hair as well which is you know nice skill to have so after all that you know let's just do something else so he became a public school teacher sure why not (laughs) goodness these they the, make me feel so lazy I mean, the, the
0: wheelhouses on these people are I just know. crazy it, make, it doesn't it just make you feel like your life is completely just inadequate So lazy what did you do today <laughs>
1: well i got up um no i did things um so then he got married and his wife's name was lula bell oh, lula bell charlton that's Precious. And they moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, I think he, he was born in Dallas, Texas. So they moved to Albuquerque. And then they kind of traveled around a lot. They ended up in Bisbee, um, Arizona. And he opened a barbershop and a saloon. Nice. Like you do. So soon after he started that saloon, he started thinking about a better way to dispense beer. And he actually came up with the uh, pressure dispensed beer tap in 1908 oh that's fabulous yeah so he's got that going and you know obviously it keeps the beer fresh it keeps it going blah blah um the um Milwaukee Brewing Company perhaps you've heard of them
0: Milwaukee Brewing Company that sounds familiar so Hmm. they
1: purchased (laughs) that beer tap um invention they don't call them the
0: Milwaukee Brewers for nothing
1: right oh is that the hockey team no (laughs) Just oh. Wah, wah. Oh. I know they're baseball, right? Football, <laughs> Just, golf, golf. It's the golf team. It's the golf team. We'll go with that. Sure. Sportsing, we love sportsing. So, yeah. So they they bought that that invention, and variations of that are still what you see in the bars today. So that's no pretty cool. Um,
0: so I got to invent me something.
1: I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> every time ben tries to invent something he talks about it and then like two years later we see an ad for it on tv or something yeah, somebody's, so fo- yeah, somebody's
0: following me around stealing all my ideas <laughs> they're super good ones too i guess pre- shouldn't probably shouldn't say my ideas don't on the podcast. say
1: it <laughs> somebody's going to take it to shark tank and <laughs> do great so then they moved over to san francisco and he um, started working on automobile directional signals, a.k.a. turn signals. Those things that
0: uh, nobody uses. people don't use and really
1: <laughs> make me mad. And he installed one on a Pierce Arrow car in oh, 1913. Nice. So I wonder, that's, that's interesting. I, there's a Pierce Arrow Museum in Buffalo that we've yeah. gone to see. For it's you, a for, really cool museum. For
0: those of you in our local area, should definitely check that out. Oh, yeah. It's a very uh, cool museum to visit.
1: I think maybe if we ever can go out in public again, we can uh, maybe do a little museum tour. Talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah, road trip.
1: Road trip. So um, so with that automotive directional system, uh, he's widely credited for it. But out of all of his patents, they can't locate that record. So what? Eh, I don't know. A little weird. Um, so that was around um, the 1910. So in 1910, he did another cool thing for your bar. It's the self-locking billiard cue rack. Got to oh. have a place where those billiard cues can go. He then uh, patented in 1920 a brake testing machine that the Oakland Police, Cal- the Oakland California Police Department took and tested things with. <laughs> they no liked kidding. it enough. Yeah. Um, then in 1932, he made some modifications to the automatic gear shift, started working on automatic transmission. 1933, he was working on that, um, the shifting in, of, of the transmission. In 1950, he made a horizontally swinging barber chair. So I think that's the <laughs> one that turns... So that you can switch swish things around and cut that hair. And then in 1962, he patented the automotive automatic safety braking system.
0: No kidding. Yeah,
1: pretty awesome. And towards the end, he started developing glaucoma, losing his eyesight, oh. which was a huge bummer. But he lived to age 84 and he's got tons and tons of patents.
0: That's just that's incredible. On um, just like Jack of all trades, just I know. I'm going to invent a barber chair and this thing for the automatic transmission. Why not? (laughs) I'm just going to branch out.
1: Oh, yeah, by the way. And the beer tapping and the billiard cues. He was a good time, this guy. (laughs) Not only smart, but he kept you in beer and billiard cues.
0: And here's an ice cream scoop. You're welcome, world. (laughs) He did not patent that. Uh, Well, I've got a really fun one. I really enjoyed researching this one. Okay. Okay. so just to get my citations off the uh, out of the way, I'll do them up front. I got the, 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 my information comes from the blackpass.org. Uh,
1: yeah, I got some of my stuff from them too and the Wikipedias. Uh,
0: and this one was uh, a, well, let me tell you who I'm researching here. Yeah, that'd be good. Th- yeah. This is Wendell Oliver Scott. Oh, I've heard of him. He was a NASCAR uh, race driver. yeah. 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 Uh, and so another another citation was an interview that he gave um, to Ed Hinton. And lastly is a Times Union Jacksonville.com uh, news article. So Wendell, Wendell Oliver Scott, he was born in 1921. Now, his father worked as an auto mechanic and he was a driver for a wealthy white family. Oh, okay. Of course, dad had to teach Wendell how to work on these cars, yeah. you know. So he he was growing up with this stuff. Uh, and fell in love with cars at a pretty early age. Uh, as he got older, he became a taxi driver. <laughs> he was. <laughs> <laughs> that's always what you want, is an
1: aspiring NASCAR driver to be your taxi
0: Well, and driver. that's, this what's so funny is that he was, he was notoriously known for getting people to destinations faster than they wanted to get there. <laughs> <laughs> See? So, he did drop out of high school um, and was drafted in for World War II, and they sent mm. him to uh, mechanic school. Uh, after the war, he lost his taxi license through some various uh, speeding and other violations.
1: Shenanigans. <laughs> right.
0: So, he had to move on to something else, and he ended up opening up his, uh, his own repair shop. Perfect. And... From Wendell Scott's, the, to hear him tell it in the interview, he ran into a bad crowd,
1: <laughs> like you do,
0: and started running moonshine Ooh! to uh, Charlotte because Charlotte was uh, dry. was dry. Uh, so the two things that you need to <laughs> to evade the police are speed and driving skill, right?
1: Oh, here we are.
0: So before he even ever even got involved in uh, racing uh legally, he was racing very illegally away from the the police force <laughs> um so he he was living in danville uh Danville, Virginia, and their racing scene was kind of struggling quite a bit. so they were looking to, uh, well, for Danville a, yes. yeah, yeah, <laughs> they were looking for a way to boost up uh, attendance and they thought well, hey if, you know if we get an African American driver, then maybe we can get more African Americans in the community to come to the races. Sure. So who do they ask? But the police department, they (laughs) they said, we need a really fast driver. Who you got? And they were just like the the police department, hands down, is like, oh, yeah, you need Wendell Oliver Scott. There's your man. So they approached him and and he agreed Uh, and he became the the first African-American to drive in an official stock car race. Now, all throughout the 1950s, Scott won 127 races on the Dixie Circuit, uh, and he also won the Virginia State Championship in
1: 1958.
0: Ooh. Now, we, now we're now we coming into the 60s. In 1961, Scott decided to try his hand at the elite, the NASCAR. Yeah. So the NASCAR Grand National Circuit. Uh, now, even at this level of driving, and even before this— Scott was ex- an experiencing uh, an incredible amount of racial discrimination. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the things that uh, that he had to go through, uh, and, and like many others, but specifically to his field, were, you know, he'd, he'd get the threats and everything that, that – that all African-Americans were, were going through. Um, but he'd, they'd also failed to pay him for some of the races.
1: Well, and he's down in the South, too. So. Right.
0: Now, he, the, the drivers, whether you win or lose, you still get paid to race. And you, you get in the line at the end of the race, uh, and, they, and they pay you your earnings or whatever. And they would just tell him to buzz off. <gasps> yeah. Uh, some races he wasn't even allowed to participate in. They're just like, you, you are not going to race here. Uh, and the other thing too that that you don't really consider is, you're driving in the NASCAR circuit. You need sponsorship, right? Yeah, right. everybody knows how they got yeah. the, these sponsorships all over the cars. But even back then, they had sponsorships, and, and he just couldn't get the spons- sponsorship or backing. So not only was he competing with the with all the elite, he was competing with their money because right, he didn't have that. that.
1: He's paying for it himself, right?
0: And he's fixing his his own car and, and buying his own parts and things like that.
1: So I was just imagining like, you know, you've got your pit crew. He just gets out of the car and he's doing all of the stuff. <laughs> well, no. He, and then he gets to get back in. He's got to drive double fast to kind of make up it. He did
0: have a crew. Oh, all right. Uh,
1: Phew. but That the, would have been, a, that's like a really funny silent movie.
0: Yeah, that would be. Getting out of his own car, putting his own gas. And no, nah, that would be too much. No, he definitely did have a crew. All right. Uh, but, you know, there was also some racism from the other drivers too, to the point where they would intentionally crash him.
1: I'm sure. Sure. Uh,
0: so, it, you know, it was really really rough. Um however, in 1963, Scott became the first African American to win a Sprint Cup Division NASCAR race. Ooh. It was the only time he finished first, but there's some controversy behind this this particular race cuz when the checkered flag flew he wasn't announced as the winner. It was actually what? Buck Baker, was originally awarded first place. Buck Baker. Buck Baker, yeah. So Scott knew, knew he had won. He knew how many laps he was, he was driving. So he goes and he protests. And um, this is where the controversy comes in, whether or not this was done intentionally, right? I mean, that's the first thing you think of. Like, he wasn't awarded first right. place is because he's, he's African-American. Um, but the, the factors that come into play here is this specific track was awful it had ruts it had just terrible track conditions and cars were crashing and breaking down (laughs) left and right sounds delightful (laughs) as a matter of fact only um only 10 of the 22 cars that participate in the race actually finished
1: oh my gosh
0: now this is 1963 so it's not like we have electronic scorekeeping or or lap counters and things like that all of this is done manually and remember, all of these cars are crashing and pitting and fixing and getting back on the tracks. So keeping track of how many laps they went around can be notoriously difficult. And they they often do recounts. So Scott wanted to recount and they went over through it and figured out that he actually did 202 laps of the 200 lap race. So he, oh. did, he ended up finishing first place well before the, the flag even, even came out. So they awarded him the first place prize money. Unfortunately, though, the first place trophy, the original one, was already gone.
1: Oh, they gave it to the other okay. guy.
0: It, t- it takes hours, right, to right. to do all these recounts. By then, everybody had gone home. So he really didn't. It was really unfair that he didn't get the recognition in front of the crowd right. um, that he that he really deserved. Um, to this day, and this is the big, this, this is the biggest controversial issue. I think, in my opinion, nobody knows where the original trophy is.
1: Oh, some Him, stinker took off.
0: Yes, of like, well, because Buck Baker said, said, like, I don't have it. And even Buck Baker's son said that. Look, look, my dad has a ton of trophies, and the least trophy that he'd ever want is one where he didn't actually, or where the win would would be disputed. He's like, it's my dad doesn't have it. Uh so mm-hmm. no one nobody knows where this trophy is, and I think that's just a shame. Um but I mean this guy, what an amazing life to yeah, to, to cool. go through all that. Um and unfortunately in nineteen seventy-three a crash at the Talladega track ended his career, and he reported back to Danville, Virginia, uh to be a mechanic again. And after many years of fixing cars for a living. He uh, passed away in 1999 after a battle with spinal cancer. 19. 1990. 1990. But I don't want to end on that sad note with him. I will end it to say that in 1999, he was inducted into the International Motorsports Hall of Fame.
1: Yay! Uh, I just had to do a quick Google search because I'm like, this would make a great movie. And you know what?
0: They made it, it. They made a movie about it. Yeah, <laughs>
1: 1977, Greased Lightning is what it's called. It's the oh, true life funny. story of Wendell Scott. That's funny. Really cool. I love it. Uh, Richard Pryor plays.
0: Did he really? Scott. Okay, that's one we're gonna have to check out. Yeah,
1: we're gonna have to watch that. That's really awesome.
0: So there you go, Wendell Wendell Oliver Scott. That's awesome.
1: That's a great. Now we got to watch the movie. We I, this is that was a good one.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: All right, I have one more little short one.
0: Okay. Cap us off.
1: And it doesn't really have a lot to do with cars or
0: <laughs> is it is it at least related stuff? to gear? I <laughs> can
1: so um if you think of gear as in any gear you might carry with you, then I can pull this one off.
0: Ah, well, we got we got all the leeway in the world.
1: Nobody can stop me, so here we go. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So I decided that I tried so hard. There are so many brilliant female African American inventors. Not a ton in the automotive industry. Could you stop getting text messages? My computer is so angry at me right now. So I, but I wanted to get one that was at least quasi and. Then I just, I found Marie Van Britten Brown, and she's awesome. So she was born on October 30th, 1922, and she became a nurse. So she was a full-time nurse. Her husband was an electrician, and they lived in Queens, New York. Not the safest place in the whole United States of America. No. A little bit of a crime rate there. And as a nurse... As us nurses and doctors and crazy people in the medical field know, your hours are nuts. Like you're coming home at eleven o'clock and at night at three o'clock in the morning, yeah. all different times.
0: People get sick all times a day. And, and
1: electricians, night. the same thing. He was getting called out all the time. So very often they were either not home at the same time, or you know, al- she would be home alone, and so she was, you know, a little bit aware of the fact that she. Uh, wanted to kind of have a better security sort of surveillance of her home. So she started making her own system.
0: She started developing her own security system? Oh, I love this. This is
1: so good. So the first thing she did was in their front door, she drilled some peepholes at differing heights. So one for an average height person, one for a tall person, and one... Down lower so her children could look through,
0: or in case you're getting robbed by a five year old.
1: Well, they do <laughs> the, the life of crime of five year olds. You know, st- they steal your cookie and then right. they put gum in your hair. I did not
0: mean to go off on. Tangent, Sorry,
1: tangent, tangent. So, so you got the different peepholes. Okay. So that was great, and then she decided she wanted um, more of a you know, uh, like a wireless system so she could actually visualize what's going on out there. So she had some cameras and remotely they would feed the the camera images to her television so she could see what was going on outside a front door, back door, that type of thing. Wow. What year is this? So she applied. She and her husband, Albert Brown, both applied for the patent in 1966, but of course it took them several years to sort of design this Right, there's more to it. So 1966, granted 1969. This is
0: crazy. This woman's brilliant. She's getting images to her TV in the, mm-hmm. in, in the 60s all on her
1: own. Yeah. And then she also had a two-way microphone to allow communication between the front door and her in the house. So you could talk to whoever it was state your business, you know that type of thing.
0: She's like developing Stark Industries all on her own. I know. She
1: was Stark Industries. And then so her her biggest thing was the amount of time that it actually took for the police to respond to an emergency call. And so she was trying to figure out a way to sort of make that a little bit faster and streamline that process. And so she actually developed a push button system so you just push the button It alerts the police, and here they come to save you. No kidding! So that's really cool.
0: So I'm Um, I'm assuming all this stuff like eventually got developed for for other people to use. Well, yeah. So
1: she originally sort of designed this for domestic use. Other people were using it in their homes, but then a lot of businesses were like, "No, no, no! This is awesome! We're going to use this." So they they picked it up, um, and basically, this is this is the predecessor to the uh, alarm systems we have today. Wow! That's incredible, Marie. Marie Van Britton Brown.
0: Very good stuff. I know. Go nurses. (laughs) Well, that about wraps it up for us here. I think if I've learned anything, it's (laughs) that I need to invent more things.
1: I'm scared. (laughs) You know, for Christmas this year, uh, Ben's parents actually got us a book about catapults, and I fear—I have so much fear in my body. I'm
0: definitely building a catapult. Don't you worry about that.
1: I apologize in advance.
0: (laughs) So we're gonna have uh, another product trial coming out here. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that release. Already
1: launched it. Hopefully, good. Hello, future. Hello, past. (laughs)
0: So check out our 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 product trial number two, and uh, see if that's something you'd be interested in. And And if
1: you think of, if you see some crazy thing you want us to check out for you, just drop us a line.
0: Yeah, hit us up. Let us know what you uh, want us to talk about. We've already got a whole bunch
1: of them lined up. Thanks to a lot of you guys for. Sending us some of the goofy things you found.
0: For sure. Thank you so much. And you know where to find us? On the Twitter, on the Facebook, on the Instagram, at our website, shownauto.com, under podcast.
1: S-C-H-O-N.
0: S-C-H-O-N. Thank you, honey. We'll see you next time. Yes, we will. Bye.